0: Welcome, adventurer, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, Adventurers, to episode 92 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And Teacher Ryan has returned. woo and, and today we've got a gigantic episode with a ton of recent adventures, including Spire's End, Twilight Imperium, and more. we got an 8-bit breakdown for Clask. We're going to chat a bit about video games and board game crossovers before, finally, Scott, it's been 10 games. we got to do our top five of the most oh, recent 10 Oh, it's that reviews. time again. Hey, adventures. you know, what? we always say it and we always mean it. We're so glad to be a part of your day. And Scott, we had ourselves a really good day
1: today, didn't we? That we did. Yeah, we got together with a whole bunch of other gamers for a fundraiser for March of Dimes. I, I don't recall the exact thing that they were doing, but they must have raised a lot of money today for them. That's they wonderful. did fantastic.
0: Yeah, they had a they had like tickets for sale, and you put them in the little boxes with the games you wanted. We donated a whole bunch, and I was really pleased to see that like a fourth of the giveaways had this sticker donated by Level Up. So, Adventures, if – now, we don't do giveaways on the show very often, but when we do, we have little black and white glossy photos with King Scott on it that I had him sign, and we include that with the game that you win, right? And it, Most people probably throw them, well, not, they don't throw them away, Scott. They probably display them on their mantle. Nevertheless, (laughs) I still have mine up there. (laughs) There you go. So I included one of those with all these games thinking, okay, Charles will like throw that in. No, he made it its own thing. That and a a level up beanie He's like, you know, we, we put in one of our beanie hats too. And that had its own box
1: and there were tickets in it. You're in high demand, Scott. And I loved it how we were playing with Kat today and she's like, do you mind if I ask you a weird question? <laughs> and right then, you're like, oh, where's this going? <laughs> and she's like, are you the person in that black and white photo that signed? I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, that's me.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad to say that all told uh, for March of Dimes, Charles was able to raise $3,055. Beautiful, beautiful. Blowing the last meetup, which was prior to COVID. He did it in 2019. Blowing it out of the water. I think they did like 1900 So they crushed it. Really glad to see that. Only thing I got to say, uh, this was at the Griffin's Lair. They have that big garage area in the back where everyone was set up and playing. Mm-hmm. There's no air conditioning. And had I known that, I would have made sure to, before leaving the house, uh, wipe. Better.
1: Oh, 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 oh. (laughs) Now, me, all I was going to say about the place is I really get the feeling of, like, how can I put this nicely? Well, anything's better than what you just said. But uh, how can I put this nicely? But I know what it feels like for an addict to be around something that they like. Because the Griffin's Lair. it looks like it's definitely... More set up for miniature gaming. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, I walked around that place, felt like things were under my skin. I was itching and everything else jerking. And it was all oh, so much glorious plastic crap there ryan what you been up to oh nothing much um my birthday's
2: coming up it'll uh it'll be a day after this episode airs so i'm looking forward to having a nice board game meetup that's what i wished for my birthday so that's going to happen the sunday afterwards we're going to play a bunch of stuff and i managed to get a bunch of people together to play a game that requires about six people and i've never played before so we're looking forward to playing shadows of camelot and i uh Next time I come on, I don't mind uh, talking about that because I've been looking forward to
0: that one. And you went all the way back to episode one to hear our thoughts on that. I did. I
1: did. (laughs) That was one of the first games I got my in-laws to play. Did they like it? I think they actually did enjoy it. Good. Uh, I I love it. I mean, hey, the whole theme, King Arthur, everything else like that. I'm in. Obviously, but, that's, uh, why, that's why I invited you all the way over here to New Jersey. I know, and I'm still trying to work it out in my calendar to get there, so I'm seeing what I can do.
0: <laughs> Gentlemen, we got a lot of things to talk about before we get into recent plays. I'll kick off the banter. Leviathan Wilds, we talked about this one. It got gave it its own side quest some time back. They, uh, they had their first Kickstarter. They opted to cancel it prior to completion. They wanted to revamp some things. They're coming back. Right now, the relaunch date looking like May 9th. Go on back to Episode 58. Think Shadow of the Colossus. Like later this episode, we're going to be talking about video game, board game crossovers. And I know it's not official. It's not called it. But man, Leviathan Wilds, it's like Shadow of Shadow of the Colossus, the board game. I thought that was yes. great.
2: Yeah. And for those of you who don't know uh, uh, that game, it's basically you are a guy who's like climbing up to these golems or these gigantic creatures, giants, and trying to get up to wherever you can get to to defeat them. So, yeah, it definitely
1: feels just like that. It reminded me of our topic here later on, actually, of video games, of Crazy Climber, of climbing up the outside of this building, but you're climbing up the outside of this great beast, and it was just such a unique game to play. Scott, it's awesome having two different generations, because
0: Ryan and I are going to make references that that we can relate to, and then you make things that like, 10 years older. I make it awkward. no, no, no. <laughs> that's not where I'm going. That's not where I'm going. <laughs> Gamers in all ages and shapes and size and whatnot, and uh, I, I feel like you you broaden the appeal. You, you oh. learn us a bit or two. Okay, okay, I like it. Well, I'll tell you what I don't like, Scott, is the news item that
1: you put on there. Let's hear it. The news I have is not that great because this is all about a person that had a little bit to do with everyone's life That's li- that's listening to us. And something to do with the people that are behind the microphones here. Klaus Toiber passed away at the age of 70. Now, if the name doesn't come to mind right away, well, I'm sure that these five letters will. C-A-T-A-N. Catan. Mm-hmm. So many people have played that game. So many people still play that game. And it was just such a great way to get people into this wonderful hobby. And definitely our thoughts and prayers out to his family and everything for this. It was such, such sad news to hear.
2: Yeah. And I'm not huge into Catan, but I really have the utmost respect for designers who do something that's big for their passions. And Klaus is one of them in the board game universe. Look... Even if you don't like Catan, you can't say that what Klaus did wasn't innovative. And you definitely can't say that Catan didn't change the board gaming hobby as a whole because it did. For example, I have a board game group and have other friends who don't really do much gaming at all. But one day I was at their house and they just pulled out Catan out of nowhere and we played it and they seemed to really enjoy it. And, you know, that puts a smile on my face. That's that's all you should really care for uh, is for people to enjoy the things that they enjoy. And Catan was one of those for them. So even if I didn't meet Klaus in person,
0: I would have wanted to shake his hand and thank him for what he added to this hobby. Very mm-hmm. much so. Yeah, I think, uh, I think his legacy, what's interesting to think about is, oh, his legacy is Catan and it is, but his legacy is beyond that. Uh, if, if you adventure are not a fan of Catan, think of a game that you are a fan of. I bet you that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Catan. Uh, sure. A lot of the games that we have today, a lot of the designers, the brains behind these, the people that love this hobby, they love it. They, they were turned on to it because of Catan. You know, what I mean that these these wonderful things exist, and they all started from that one thing. And I think maybe his legacy, like, to your point, Ryan, is is bringing on the boom, bringing this uh, ushering in this era of of gaming. So uh, most definitely, exactly. sad news. We'll celebrate his life in in our love of the hobby for sure. All right, guys, let's switch gears. Let's get back to some news. Disney, Lorcana, the rulebook is live. So this is looking like a Magic the Gathering style CCG. You know, your Pokemon, that sort of thing. But this is Disney,
1: all right? Which wait, means it's, wait, wait. Is this yeah. what they're calling the new Jedi in the new Star Wars movies? Oh, God. Lorcana no. Skywalker? No, I've had it. I I Up to here, I'm done.
0: Okay, all that stuff I said about how it's great to have your... Uh, game coming out august 18th we got the rulebook so if you want to check out disney Lorcana, the rulebook is live i think i'm going to get a couple starter decks of this if if nothing else for the show but you know what i I could get my wife to play it; she'll give it a whirl
2: i mean being a big magic player yourself i'm I'm pretty sure this was going to happen you didn't even have to say anything
0: i don't play all the ccgs like when i played magic that was the only CCG. i can't name another ccg that i played that I legitimately, like, I'm going to play this.
2: Oh, man. Uh, well, that's that's different for me. But either oh, way, yes. uh, we're talking about Lurkana right now. So,
1: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to, to that, too, because, oh, geez. Uh, what was it? Um, the one that came out with all the unique boxes. Um, Keyforge. Keyforge, whenever that came out, oh, that yes. was a great way of getting into it, grabbing a, uh, a starter box, playing right out of that. And I think that's something that's so unique with CCGs or TCGs, whatever they want to call them, in that it's fun to do that, to just grab something, pull it out, and just play it right then and there. You don't know mm-hmm. what it's going to be. It's totally random, and it's all based on how you interact with that deck i mean with magic with uh drafting or doing a uh sealed tournament or something those kind of things are so much fun and throwing in disney characters with this geez i mean that's it's a given i mean i really hope it does well i'll tell you what though if it comes out with a deck for the
0: black cauldron i'm all in <laughs> you know what i think we're going to do scott is how about we buy a box of boosters for uh for level up we'll just okay. buy a box of boosters Think of it like this. If this thing takes off, right, like Magic the Gathering, you know mm-hmm. what a box of alpha goes for? Now, granted, they're not going to have such a limited print run. I, You know they're going to print the hell out of this from the get-go. They know <laughs> it's going to sell. That said, any of these these CCGs that took off, you have a sealed box of the first first edition. Oh, yeah. That's an investment. I think um, I'm going to buy a case. Let me get a case. Maybe a baker's I- dozen. Did you guys even know that there are some copies of some cards that are already
2: out and the people who have them have been trying to sell them for hundreds of dollars for a set. I think it's like five cards, hundreds of dollars. I want to say somewhere in the six
1: to $700 range. My goodness. Enough of the Disney stuff. We got other things to talk about here. There's another game coming out with an expansion. Cascadia It's coming out with Cascadia landmarks. That's coming out in the fall. Pre-orders are up soon. But we were kind of meh about Cascadia whenever we first played it. So I think we may have to go back and take another look at it because oh. everyone seems to love this game. A there can't be something that much wrong with both of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy. I'm glad they can't respond live to us right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I didn't have anything wrong with Cascadia. I was just like, when I finished it, you know how sometimes you finish a game and you go, it's a game, like mm-hmm. like Will's take on Cora. We reviewed Cora and our final thoughts. Uh, hungry Gamer was like, "It's a game. It's good. It's a game. It's compact. It doesn't blow your mind. It's a game." That's how Cascadia felt to be. I was like, "Yeah, yeah. it's a game. It's a, it's solid. It's decent. It's a game. It's blowing people's minds. So what the heck? Maybe uh, Maybe we'll get in on Landmarks and maybe we'll give it the official eight bit breakdown. Uh, I I think we should. I I definitely think we should. Here's one we haven't talked about on the show before, Carson City. You guys ever play this one? I have. In fact, I own the deluxe box, the big box. Oh, that black box with all the modules in it
2: and ponies Ooh. and stuff. Very yeah. much so. Very much so. I love it. Especially, uh, I love the game, especially the whole idea like Hylas or Kalus, however you pronounce that, where you're taking actions and trying to do things on the board, but the actions resolve in order of like a snake. So like mm-hmm. some things happen first and then the next thing happens and the next thing happens and that all changes uh, what the actual results happen on the board are and- Uh, Yeah, I I know it's coming to GameFound. Yes, it is. So because I have the big box, I even asked them on their page if there would be perhaps a pledge where they are only offering anything that they add or or new to the game, like the solo mode that they're going to do. And uh, it was confirmed. So for those of you who don't know, they're going to offer just a pledge that's only going to include all the new
0: stuff. that's kind of cool you know what i had the big box the i had the black box same one that you do and i played it with my brother and mike and we were like three quarters of the way through and they're like i don't like this can we can we just like call this and i was like what because i was loving it so i played with the lobsters we loved it Uh, i absolutely i thought that game was fantastic i eventually sold it because i was like well half half the people i play with don't like it and there's always another game so that was the end of carson city but man Jones and get it back to the tape and played it for
2: years. I will definitely play it with you because I am a huge fan of the game as well. It's a
1: I've only heard good things, so count me in as well. How about this one? Restoration
0: games. Speaking of old games coming back, Restoration Games is set to remake Acquire and Robo Rally. How many versions of Acquire are there going to be now? (laughs) Oh Lord. Seven, eight, nine. I I don't know. I I bought the one when I was growing up in Washington. I got the one with the the, the plastic tiles mm-hmm. with the the inset board. I had that one, and we we loved that. I don't even remember what happened to it. I don't think I sold it or anything. This is before I was like board gamer, right? I I, I have no idea, but I like it. Scott, you're a big fan of Acquire.
1: Well, I know. I definitely I'm interested in Acquire. Hey, buying and selling stocks of hotels. I'm all over that. Now, mm. Robo Rally. That is the only game that gave me motion sickness, huh. literally, because I would sit there and think about where I'm going, Now turn on my seat where it's going to be turning me whenever I get to that certain spot, trying to figure out where it's going to turn me next. And it was... I pictured Dr. Evil with the chair. Uh, I was oh, about
3: to I say was. that, too. <laughs> I, I,
2: I, as he's saying this, I'm just picturing him in front of me, like, at the game table, and I just see him, like, turn to the left, and whispering to himself, and then turning to the right and whispering to himself. Oh. <laughs>
1: It was horrible. And after we're done, my mind is still, like, moving different ways. I couldn't break out of that. I might play it on two boards. We played it on four boards the time wow. I played it. And that was just, like, my brain was done for the night. But still, that's good to see it come back and everything. Because, once again, those are two old classic games. And it's good to see them coming back. Another one that we have is Fractured Sky is now live on Kickstarter from our friends at Ivy Studios. We loved uh, all the things that we've had a chance to play from them Mythic Mischief mm-hmm. and Moonrakers. And, uh, Moon and Veiled oh, Fate. Yeah. Mitcha Mitcha. Uh, all right. that stuff. Mitcha Mitcha.
0: And Veiled Fate. Yeah, they got three down, and their production is awesome. All of their games, the production is absolutely astounding. They've got that down. I will say, I'm looking over this Kickstarter and I'm noticing that, like, the game is 50 bucks. The deluxe version of the game with all the bits and all the, the sweet production is like, mm-hmm. after shipping, like 200 bucks. Wow. Like, oh. Now, granted, really I'm good so. friends with Austin over at IV, so I'm hoping that he'll send us a copy to talk about on the show. We're three for three. We're, we, we have a good relationship going with Ivy, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about that one whenever it uh,
1: releases, when the backers start getting it. Yeah, really hope so because, yeah, as a company that's With Moonrakers coming out, most of their stuff from the website is just computer imaging, different things like that that they had. And here comes this board game out of nowhere, and it just knocked the socks off of everybody. So they've been really doing a great job with their board games and really getting quality games out there for everyone. So Really Mm -hmm. happy for them.
2: So you guys are talking about a game on Kickstarter, but there's a game coming on Gamefound and uh, I I just enjoyed it. Uh it's a game that Patrick, you and I saw at Gen Con last year that seemed really really cool. The designer I was, was that
0: there long
2: ago. Yeah, the designer was there showcasing this first designer game of his and it's based on a young adult series
0: of books and that game is called Weirdwood Manor. You remember that? Oh, that's one with like the uh, the dialy board. The, the yeah, the dialy board. Things things rotate. You can rotate the board and pieces are trying to move in and out.
2: Yeah, that's what drew me to this game in the first place, was I saw the board on this table. And all right, so the board is round, and it has a bunch of rooms in it, and it's separated by rings, the rings that Patrick was talking about that actually Mm -hmm. rotate. So he showed us that this was a cooperative game, and you take actions to gather resources and other items, and then use them to complete objectives, fending off the big bad. But you have to do this with a certain number of days, and the neat thing, though, is how time moves, you place an action card above your board, rotate this inner ring to the next time of day based on when you place that card. It's either going to be morning, afternoon, evening, or night. Now, if night rotates into morning, then you're going to rotate the other ring, the outer ring to advance the day. So for example, from day three uh, to four. That's now, your timer. That's right. Um, and you only have 12 days. I think it is for most of these. Now that doesn't, just affect how much time you have left. Uh, but those rings that track the times and days, they also have like little openings or depictions on them to show whether the way into that room is open mm-hmm. or closed. And so what you do could affect where the next player is able to go. Guys, uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be a backer of this when it comes to Kickstarter. And by the time this episode airs, it will be. It'll, it'll come out on the 18th of April. Please, if you haven't already seen this and the game seems like it's for you, go check out their Game found campaign. Uh, it's Weirwood Manager designed by Mike Cassie and his publishing company, Gray Ridge Games. It's also like uh, a, a publishing company that he started up
0: just for this game to start with. Oh, wow. That's great. You know what? I've been looking into this one a little bit more myself. I think I'm likely going to be back, too, after watching a video from our good friend, the hungry gamer, Will Brown. Yes. Uh, don't, don't listen to us. You know, we're kind of the B team. Get on over to YouTube. Check out Will Brown. Check out his video. He's got Weirdwood Manor up, and it's looking good. Hey, hey, hey. we're the A team
1: here, pal. we Wait A team. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, guys, before we get on with some recent plays, we had ourselves a meetup just a few weeks ago. And, Ryan, we've been waiting to get you on the show to talk about this one because you drove all the way out from New Jersey, spent the night at my house.
3: We had a sleepover. We did. had a
0: sleepover, pillow fight Aww. included. We told did stories and we were in our day. in our cartoon pajamas. Man, what a day that was! It was a huge meetup. Again, the record is broken. We went to Four Horsemen and we had—I I think this one actually broke our record that we set at the Vault. More gamers at this one than our previous. We keep uh, getting more and more of a crowd. It was fantastic out there. Beautiful store. What'd you think, Ryan? Oh, was. meetup! You were there in the
2: flesh. I was. So like. Let's put it this way. My wife was very kind when I said, honey, can I borrow our only car for two days and leave you to deal with our three-nager son? Uh, there Did was... you say three-nager? Yeah, he's three. That's... Wow, I like that. <laughs> there was definitely a long drawn outside, but she agreed. I have a great wife, everyone. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I drove the five to six hours to Pittsburgh from where I live in Central Jersey. And then, yes, we had a sleepover at Patrick's for the night. And then we were Yee! off to the Four Horsemen. It was very impressive. The tables were nicely separated. The giveaways stood high and visible. And not to mention the store itself was so nicely stocked with all sorts of great games. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we got to setting up right away, especially the review copy of Kyperion we had. Uh, If you haven't already listened to episode, I think it's 86 to hear about this game. But, yeah, we had that going up, and I just brought a bunch of games myself. I had, like, uh, three gigantic bags full of games just in case anybody wanted to play anything. Dude, you showed
0: up with another store's worth of games. (laughs) I did. You had those board game tables ones that hold, like, seven or eight. You're like, "Uh, I have 22. And I was like, (laughs) damn, he is ready. I can teach any one of them at any time. <laughs> I could, and I did. Uh, but yeah,
2: gaming just lasted all night. And there were so many people, a bunch of people who stopped in for the event. Uh, and there was also quite a few people who, people who didn't even know the event was happening or what it was about. Like uh, that group of girls you were talking about in the last mm-hmm. episode who were there for a birthday party.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I was, just, I was just impressed with the amount of games that were going on. It's a lot of games I've never seen before, in fact. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, all sorts of new people I meet. Uh, and just in general, I had a great time.
0: I'm so happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. Scott, meet up. I saw you playing some Talitum with Ryan. too No, nope, leave it be. Talitum. too
1: <laughs> Yes, that I did. Uh, I always thought it was tal it was great having Ryan out. Uh, I didn't get to partake in the sleepover or anything like that and storytelling <laughs> and doing our hair <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, but yes, yeah. the gaming was a lot of fun. Got a chance to play Toledum, Taltum, Taltum, Tila tomb Tila nope. yes, yes, yes. <sighs> on the tip of my tongue there. I'm sorry, Ryan. Uh, but yeah, it was great to get there. So many people coming in in. I think the thing that was so impressive was that the store was absolutely beautiful, number one, to, to look at. In mm-hmm. the mall that they're in, it's not one of those malls that are in the death throes of almost passing away. This, this is a thriving very mall. well uh, thriving mall here. So a lot of people were walking past just, what's this? And yet mm-hmm. so many people coming in and looking around like, what is this place? What are these games? And just seeing so many people like there's something to this. I I would love to know how many people came up to that counter and bought something for the first time just because of all the craziness that was going on that day. It was really, really a fantastic meetup.
0: Yeah, you know what the owner even he said to us, he's like, you know what? I really like it when the store's buzzing back yes. here because I want my I want customers to see that this isn't a place that just sells games. This is a place where things happen. People mm-hmm. come to have fun and enjoy each other's company. And he's like, man, it feels so great having you guys here. And he said, when you guys are ready to come on back, come on back. And, you know, what? I, I got to mention Kyle here because, uh, Kyle, the, that whole group, the, the purple shirts. They yes. they do their meetups there. And he's like, Well, you know what? I messaged Kyle's like, Hey man, we need to come up with a place on that side of the city. I know you're up there. What do you think? Where are we gonna go? He's like, Well, we do the four horsemen. Why don't we do like a joint meetup? And man, Kyle was on top of it. He was helping mm-hmm. doing like the fundraiser for the store and tickets and food. And uh, so so Kyle, thanks. And boy, can't wait to get back out there. I'll tell you one of the games that I played, and this is gonna segue us right into recent adventures. You ready, guys? I am. Yep. Ryan, you came out that Friday night, and we sat in my basement all alone. And we played Homeland play. from Pocketable Games, like Pocket Able. So
3: that's oh, a stunner. Oh,
1: I thought you were gonna like <laughs> summon demons with the Ouija board or something.
0: <laughs> I, I believe it's pronounced Poke Table. Uh, pocketable or pocket table. Well, there's only one T. So I'm going with pocketable. Yeah, I think that's their shtick is they want to make small footprint games that are easy to, uh, to take around with you, whatnot, and they're cheap. This game is 18, 17, 18, I think it's 18 bucks. I checked it out before we started. This game's called Homeland. And the way that you play Homeland is quite simple. You got this big old deck of cards. And when you start the game, plays two to six players, everybody's going to get their own homeland. Like you can get the crystal ice plains, the motionless desert, each of them describing the climate and your terrain type. Then from that big shared deck of cards, everybody's gonna draw five. Now here's the way that a turn works. This is really simple. On my turn, I've got my five cards. Each of the cards do something like at the end of my turn, I'm going to have to put one of them face down in front of me and it's going to score me points at the end of the game. But there might be a card that like, okay, this one just doesn't sync up with my other stuff. Like one card might say, hey, if you're in a cold climate, this is worth plus 10. Hey, if you're in a mountainous terrain, this is a plus 10. Well, I want to keep that one. But this little archer guy, he sucks. So I put him on the table and I say, guys, I have this up for grabs. Everybody else at the table, they look at their hand, they take one card, they put it face up, and they say, I'll offer you this, right? So it's like an offering. Now me, I could say, you know what? I'm going to take that one from you, Ryan, and we make a trade. Or that one from you, Scott, and we make a trade. Or I can say, no, screw you guys. Those cards all suck. Put them back in your hand. I'm just going to discard my offering, and I'm going to draw from the top of that deck. And then I play one card face down and play passes to the next guy. It's that simple. You play until everybody's got five cards in front of them, and you're just going to, one at a time, flip over the cards that are in front of you, and you're going to tally up your points. High score wins. What makes it kind of cool is that that climate and that terrain, that could be messed with. Sometimes you have some cards that are like, oh, hey, all of the cold climates are now hot. Sometimes they'll say, all the hot are now warm, or the warm went to cool. So things are going to happen in that final scoring that you didn't know were going to happen. While you do have some open information with the offering, you're not going to know everything that happens come time for final scoring. Is it a brain burner? No. Is it simple, quick, and fun? Yes. And that's what I like, but I think that's what they're shooting for. Ryan, what'd you think about Homeland? Yeah. uh, So when we first played it in your basement,
2: we played it as two players. Now I'm going to say it right now, this game doesn't shine at two players at all. Mm -hmm. Um, There's really not many people who can take the offer that you are offering. And so since it was just me to take the offer, I would be like, I'm going to give you a crappy card because there's nothing I can do with this card. Right. (laughs) And so most of the time you just like fished in the deck for another card. Uh, Mm -hmm. However, when we did play it at the meetup, we played it with, we had four, I believe. Uh, Am I, am I mistaken in that we had four? I think it was Charles and one other. Yeah. I think it was four. So yes, that's right. And so there were three other people who could decide whether or not they wanted to offer something better so that they could have your card. And so there was a lot more interaction. There was a lot more, um, I actually have a choice now. I have to choose between three cards that are given to me or just my card. The fact that there was more choices that made the game so much better. Like Mm -hmm. it, it, it was from like darkness to shine whenever you change to four players. And so I can only imagine it getting better even
0: with six. Yeah, we finished playing it two-player and I was like, Scott, you know how sometimes we'll get in a game and we'll do that first playthrough and we're like, oh boy, what are we going to do with this one? Are we going to even <laughs> talk about it on the shoot? We got to send that email to the designer and be like, hey, it's just not for us, that, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And uh, we finished that first two-player game and was like, oh, I don't know. I just don't know. And then we did that multiplayer game and it shined. It really, okay, it's not Seven Wonders, right? It's not Wingspan. Right. But it's not trying to be what it is trying to be, that 15-minute fun little let's throw down some cards. Man,
1: it it did really good for that. Well, that's nice to see that because it's fun whenever you have those kind of games where you can get six players together, get it played, and have a good time. You aren't getting Mm -hmm. hung up with all this long rules explanation or anything like that, just something quick and fun to play. And that's, that's such an important thing.
3: best part about playing a board game. The camaraderie with friends, the immersion into the game's themes, the strategic thinking it takes to win. At Level Up, we believe the best part of the board game is the sweet sound of putting the lid back on the box. That's right, the sensational, vibrant frequency caused by four walls of glossy, airtight cardboard being rubbed against another four. This episode's feature, Moonrakers from IV Game Studios, some sort of Negotiation, deck building thing? But never mind the mechanisms of this game. I want you to quietly get lost in this melody. Now that's intriguing. Moonraker's doesn't just provide a good time on the table. It brings friends closer together with one last moment of joy before returning it to the shelf. Let's hear that again. Oh wow, I just can't get enough. Like some negotiating in the game, it takes time to develop. Remember, if your game doesn't serenade you when you complete it, you didn't really even play. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope this experience provides enrichment for your future gaming experiences.
1: Alright, so you guys had your little slumber party and everything, so (laughs) I got a game I got to play with myself and Tom over at the shop. So I got a chance to play the Star Wars deck building game. This was just published this year, 2023, by Fantasy Flight and designed by Caleb, Caleb, Grace. Kaleed. I always have a problem with Caleb or Caleb. T- it's to lead him. But anyway, deck building games are a safe bet for fun. A lot of the time at Star Wars, and my interest is definitely peaked. This game does not reinvent the deck builder, but It adds a few touches to make it its own. First of all, Fantasy Flight has a boatload of amazing Star Wars artwork from many of their games, which they reuse for a lot of this game. There may be one or two new pieces, but a lot of them are familiar from Armada, X-Wing, Imperial Assault, all that plethora of Star Wars uh, goodness that Fantasy Flight has. Mm Mm-hmm. So, setting up, just like many others, you get a deck of 10 cards. These are the same but different depending on whether you're playing Rebels or Empire. Now, one thing important here for a lot of Star Wars fans the timeline they take is from Rogue One to Return of the Jedi. So, it doesn't get flooded with items which will cause the Uber fans to lose their mind whenever you have um, Qui Gon fighting Ray or something like that in these Rey games. Ray was a Mary Sue. Huh? Ray was a Mary Sue. If you know, you know. Okay. So what you do here is, first of all, you choose three bases, planets, that your opponent needs to destroy. Each turn, you'll draw five cards and figure out what you want to do with them. The resources that you're playing are with our uh, (laughs) resources, uh, which are money, (laughs) attack, which is damage, and force, the X factor of this game. Okay. Now there are six cards in the market for you to choose from. This is where it gets a little fun. Depending on the card that is revealed, it may be fight facing either the rebel side or the imperial side. This allows them to see the awesome cards that they can purchase that are going to just beat you up. But that's not all. In a reverse font on the bottom of those cards is a damage value that you can get. If you can gather enough damage you can blow that awesome card out of the sky before they can even get it. So your decision is, do you want to add more damage to their base or do you want to remove the chance of them parking a Star Destroyer in orbit that will do major damage to you next turn? As I said, the major X factor is the force in this. Now there is a type of tug of war that is going on in the game on a separate card next to the market. So whenever you play a card that has a force icon on it, you will move the one little token down closer to your side of the force. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get it all the way to the bottom, you'll get an extra resource that you can use to purchase cards. Mm -hmm. But also, there are other cards that will give you bonuses if the force is on your side. All in all, very similar to what you had with the pocketable games with Homelands, it's not really that deep of a game. Uh, It's a deck builder. A lot of people are familiar with them. My big thing is, yeah, sure, I like heavier games. I like really digging into the really brain-burning kind of games. But sometimes I just want to have fun and play a game. This really fits the bill for that. It doesn't take long. So this would be a great game to just keep in your desk drawer at work and play with your nerdy friends during your lunch break. And that's the Star Wars deck-building game.
2: I always kind of imagine a game like this where if you have a stormtrooper, it has like negative 99 chance to hit, but it has like plus 1 million damage if it ever does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want that to be a thing because like, you know that like in the Star Wars universe, if if a standard stormtrooper just manages to hit somebody,
1: it's going to be the talk of the century. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just such a stunning game to look at with all the artwork.
0: Okay, clarify something for me, if you will. First of all, All this is a two-player-only game, right? I believe that you can play up to four if you have two boxes of it. Okay. You said that depending on how the cards in the market are facing, does this mean that, like, if a Star Destroyer comes up, it's, like, once you flip it from the deck, okay, we're going to position this so that it's facing uh, the, the Empire, Yes, they're the ones that can buy it. And the other side shows what the rebels can do to get rid of it before the Empire buys it. On the other hand, if a a Chewbacca comes up, then the rebels, it's going to be facing them. Mm -hmm. They can buy the Chewbacca before. Okay,
1: that makes sense. Now Now, the thing also is that the Empire cannot buy any rebel only cards and the rebels can't buy any Imperial cards that makes sense now are there, there cards are neutral can... cards that are bounty yeah. hunter cards that either side can purchase I
0: like that when you buy yeah. them do they go into your discard and then just shuffle in a, like Clank
1: Clank and Dominion style uh, yes purchases? yes very much so I yes I like that one of the most popular games in the hobby and the oldest in the BGG top 100 is Crokinole and at level up we're big fans oh yeah most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott, and along with your board, Brown
0: Castle has the best Crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders,
1: the carrying case, they make the best yes they do adventurers you know our style when we partner with someone it's to get savings for you exclusively Uh for adventurers get five percent off anything and everything from brown castle games the boards cases accessories you name it get five percent off with promo code level five l-e-v-e-l the number five all caps no spaces Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com So Scott, you talked about a game in
2: space. I have a recent play too uh, that I'd like to add in. Very good. Yeah, let's hear it. I have played Twilight Imperium 4th Edition and I know I know yes. that Patrick has been waiting for my review of this game. Ever and since I will go it. get
0: coffee now. Ugh. Scott, <laughs> he has not told me a damn thing about it. I was like, so what'd you think? And he's like, I'm not telling yet. So I am on the edge of my seat. This is the first I'm hearing about it. This this will make or break the episode. Go. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, well,
2: first and foremost, for those who don't know Twilight Imperium, like I didn't until I actually played it at Patrick's, the entire goal of the game is to get a certain number of points. Uh, once that number of points is achieved by a player, that player immediately wins. Stop the game. Nothing else happens. Game over. Uh, Patrick taught me this game, uh, The Morning Of, and we were expecting the lobsters to be there at 11 in the morning to start the show. Uh, Now, coming from someone who has never played this before, I'll I'll go ahead and be the first to tell you, don't be intimidated by this game. The rule set is pretty standard, and the the flow of the game is kind of laid out for you each round. The hard part of the game, though, is putting this strategy together, along with negotiating and creating alliances in a Mm -hmm. way that benefits you the most. Just an idea of how the game runs, there are seven action tiles, and they have a primary action on it and a secondary action on them. Each player will pick one of those action tiles for the round. And then for the action phase, which is where most of the things happen in the game, you'll either move around the map, attack somebody, produce ships, or perform the action that's on your tile. Now, I'm going to somebody... stop you for just one second. Sure. There are eight action tiles. I apologize. There are eight. Yes. <laughs> when someone activates their action tile, they do everything that's in the primary part of that action. Hmm. While everyone else can do the secondary action, most of them have to be done by paying a strategy token to do so. Either way, when everyone passes, we move on to the agenda phase, assuming that someone has taken the big center planet of the map called Mechatol Rex. And this phase involves voting for things to happen for pretty much the entire next round. And then that's pretty much it. And then there's cleanup. So I have to say that the lobsters, who I just met also, uh, were a group bunch, uh, a great bunch that I met. And they're really into making alliances and doing a lot of backstabbery. I I loved it when (laughs) uh, all at the same time, we were like, Patrick's taking Necatel rats, get him. And we we did that for the entire game. I think the entire game was against Patrick, (laughs) but it was brilliant. Now, with all that said, I do have to say that I will not want to own a copy of this game. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's okay. That's well, okay. The reason for that is because, uh, and it's 100% because I will never have a group of six, unfortunately. And that's it. I will have to say that this game is phenomenal. I have to ask Scott this question, though.
0: Yes.
2: I have absolutely no idea what you don't like about this game. It's it's <laughs> it, it's great. What is What's up with that?
1: <laughs> I think it's... As far as, like, area control games, that is not my forte. Definitely not. The whole negotiation part is not my forte. It's not something that I really enjoy. If anything, I kind of lean more almost at times to, like, multiplayer solitaire games where I can just get in my head and picture things out and play things out. And that's just the kind of thing that I really enjoy. I mean, sure, yeah, I like trash talking over the table and everything at times and some sort of things like that but i think it all goes back to my experience with uh i've talked about it before diplomacy oh he said it don't say it oh no (laughs) yes yes that that game i think really did a number on me there you do tend to
0: like having the rules set, cut and dry. You know, you don't like gray areas in your game. You don't like it when the game allows players to manipulate things. You want to- whenever someone can
1: say, "Well, the rules don't say I can't do that." That's when I want to flip the table well, and start. Well, punching you can't people. do that in Twilight Imperium either, <laughs> right?
0: But yeah, but you don't like it whenever the the games like someone's positioning can be influenced by something that's not a cut and dry like you put the block here to gain one coin right right yeah you know what i mean you like your levers to be pulled in one direction not 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 sw- you don't like a joystick right? yeah 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 i okay. I'm, I'm all analog here no digital <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Scott, I understand where you're coming
2: from, and I agree with a lot of that. Yes, I, I am. I am not huge into area control myself, uh, mm-hmm. and I am definitely not into negotiation or backstabbery. That's just not how I roll. Yeah. Um. But I think that the reason why I really liked this game is because of the group. Oh yeah. I feel like if I played this again, but I played it with people who. You know, really had issues with this game, or you know, wanted to fall asleep, or didn't really do any kind of interactions whatsoever, or were just didn't seem to be having fun. I think this would have been a different answer. Um, True. But specifically, my first experience with this game was with a great group of people. And that's why I think it was really fun to me. It I, it really was. They they all made me feel welcome. In fact, they tried to help me out. One of my neighbors was
0: uh, a, a faction that it was all about like destroying me. <laughs> yeah, <you> he <laughs> and- had he had right off to his side. They're supposed to leech leech like crazy. The other side, oh, was it Sardak? I don't remember who was on the other. You had Joel Nahr, who's pretty peaceful on the one side, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I did. I did. They more wanted people next to him to trade uh, yeah. and,
2: or, so that he could uh, you know, leech off of that. And I was the Nalu collective. I was also more about fighting uh, specifically with my fighters. If you don't know about this in the game, too, fighters have to stick around areas that have ships or your home planets or just planets in general that can hold people or, or things to move around. Um, mm-hmm. Mine was if I upgraded my fighters, um, they could go off on their own and they were stronger too. So like once that happened, I just kept on fighting as many people as I could, which is, is not how you win the game, but it was just a fun
0: way to play near the end. Well, I'm really happy to hear that you liked it. And you know what? I was worried for a minute because we had... I was telling Scott, we had a slow game. Normally, by the time you hit round three, there's a few people that are four, five points. Round four, it's like, okay, next round might be it. We had some very unique objectives that we were having a hard time hitting. Just a a bear of a time getting those objectives down. And uh, it made for a, a more, we'll say a slower pace. You know, we did. I, I took We a, had at least another hour to go, another round to go yeah. when we were like, okay, guys, we have to call it here. Ryan's got to get back to New Jersey. I think when we finished, someone was at eight. So I'm confident it uh, would have ended the next round, but I couldn't believe we hadn't finished. Yeah. I was tied in second at seven by
2: the time I left. So I felt pretty f- proud of myself. Uh, oh, yeah, but, 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 yeah game. Th- Those rounds definitely went longer than I thought they would. And uh, so what I did just, just to get an idea of how it worked is, I took a screenshot of the time on my phone whenever we changed rounds, and there was nice. like there was like an hour to an hour and a half between each round. So, uh-huh.
1: yeah. well, but, I'm I'm very happy to hear that you enjoyed that. That's awesome. That makes my day. Oh, I'm no, sure. and I'm happy to hear that you liked it as well. I mean, I may not like it, but it doesn't mean I don't like other people to enjoy their time playing the game. Of
2: course, of course, and that's what this is all about if If everyone had that kind of mindset where it's like "I don't yuck another person's yum," then the board game community would be even better than it is right now. <laughs> Scott usually has something to say here.
1: you've got nothing no, got I no- thought we I thought we made friends with uh, he and I are friends
0: now. Oh, still thought you would have said something. <laughs> It's that time, guys. Top 100 debuts. Inish. Inish is at number 100. It's been in there before. I think maybe Galactic Renaissance being on crowdfunding is brought it back. Yeah, absolutely. Top 10 trends. We have a new game in the top 10 sitting at number 10 dune imperium there it is it happened it's a top 10 game new highest peaks obviously Dune imperium sleeping gods at number 56 great western trail second edition at 36 cthulhu death may die up to 78 and of course inish at number 100 our happy birthday chart just one and it's for one year kanban ev Mm -hmm. happy birthday all right guys so we took a little break this time with the review not gonna lie we were like you know we have a lot to say about this game we love it but it requires very little work on our
1: part huh (laughs) hey 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 don't downgrade the work that we do for this we're trained professionals all right you trained professional i'm gonna put you to work how about you do the walkthrough for this one you got it hey adventurers king scott here tonight we're going to be breaking down Clask with our 8-bit breakdown. Clask was released in 2014, designed by Mikael Bertelson, and published by, um well, Clask. Clask is one of those games that you see and you walk past it without thinking about it again. Dexterity game, eh. And that is where you would be wrong. Clask is a dexterity game that flips your dexterity on its head, quite literally. In Clask, you and your opponent will take your place on opposite sides of the table. It's a little small blue table, but there's a lot to this. You reach for your piece, and that's where you would be wrong. Instead of playing on top of the board, the action takes place under it. Each player will have a magnetic holder under the table that attaches to your striker on top of the table. The idea of that is to use that to knock the orange ball into your opponent's goal. Easy? Uh, Let's begin. Now, you will move your striker around the board, hitting the orange ball towards your opponent. One thing that makes this tricky, other than moving your hand under the board, are the six biscuits, little white magnets, on top. If at any time you get three of these biscuits on your striker, your opponent gets a point. If you slip your striker into your own goal while moving effortlessly around the board, your opponent gets a point. If you get the, your ball in your own goal, uh, I speak from experience, your opponent gets a point. Do these first to your opponent, you win. There's not a lot to this game, but it is so much fun that you cannot wait to play it again. Now, let's figure out whose dexterity is the best while we break down clask.
0: long ago, in the Kingdom of Unforth, a Fellowship ventured to vanquish the lands of an evil corruption that had consumed it. Hordes of imps, devilish creatures, pillaged the free world of the people, causing terror and anguish for centuries. The Fellowship will have to use stealth, wit, and magic to overcome their foe, for should they succeed, the evil will be banished for a thousand years. But if they fail, the fate of the world is in the hands of their enemy. This is Glask. All that and more in clask ah that's right adventures it's time for the 8-bit breakdown of today's review game clask i gotta say this does not fit the bill for our normal 8-bit breakdown you're expecting something meaty some euro gamery game we got uh boy this is
1: about as dexterity as a dexterity game gets (laughs) i'll wait till you get to the meat of the game when i'm concerned here
0: (laughs) Well, we picked this one because we've got a bit of a history with it. Uh, And, you know, maybe we'll get there at the end of this when we talk about was it fun? Who's it for? Let's start right here. Art and components. The art is, I mean... There's not art. This what is more art. of a component talk. Yeah. Okay. So the game, you've got an elevated field. Think that's the pitch, right? You got the two holes on each side, just like Scott was talking about in the walkthrough. Hands go under the table. I think it's, I think it's nice. You've got that nice wood finish. It's got a nice classic feel to it. Everything, everything moves smoothly. There's nothing that's like, oh man, it it doesn't quite work. You know, sometimes you do a dexterity game and something just like, It doesn't fall into place the way it's supposed to, or it's
1: fidgety. You get none of that with that. It's nice and smooth, a good quality production, I think. Yeah, this definitely has the makeup of something you'd find in Ikea. It has the nice blue to it that you see in the background of Ikea and all that kind of stuff there. But yeah, yeah, it's very simple. I mean, it has a great view on the table. I mean, it's not a game that no matter what you're doing, someone's going to come over and say, what is this game? Now, granted, the name is printed all over the board, but <laughs> still, it's one of those things where you can draw people in, and people are going to be, c- c- can I try it next? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, that's it. That's
2: exactly how I got into this game, too. I was at Origins, and we were walking by, and Patrick was like, oh, hey, that's
0: Clask. And I was like, well, what is it? He's like, you want to play? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. It looks interesting. And promptly beat the hell out of me. One more thing on art and components, though, uh, I came to find. You can go to, like, the Clask website, the publisher website, and you can order a custom field, like a playing field. If you wanted, like, I I don't don't know, you submit a photo of, like, your wedding photograph. You met playing class, right? Uh, (laughs) Memories of the (laughs) sleepover at Patrick's house. You know, We can get Ryan and I on. uh, You can get your own board. So, like, if you want, like, uh, I don't know, your country's flag or the Level Up logo. On a board. You could do that. Very nice. I thought that was kind of cool. Along with the orange-yellow background. (laughs) Let's get on with theme and immersion. This isn't a theme game. You're not going to get immersed in the theme. But, man, if you're not getting on the edge of your seat, getting hyped up while you're playing this thing, you're crazy. Oh, yeah, this is definitely a game that says zero theme, but like
2: you are immersed in this game or you're not. And if you're not, you lose. Like you are working your way around this board, trying to make sure that that biscuit doesn't make it anywhere that you don't want it uh, to uh, go. Uh, uh, the what? The biscuit, the little white piece that you are
1: smacking around on that board. There's an actual term for it? Yeah. yeah, there's a couple terms for everything on there. Like, for so, example, so I know that there's just like the the black holder underneath there that you use. That do is you the even steering clasp, magnet. Bro? Yeah.
2: I, well, what's the <laughs> antenna on top? The antenna, the antenna on top is called the striker. <laughs> you are striking the biscuit. You're smacking the biscuit
1: with your. Striker. All right, <laughs> adventurers. Right now, you do not have the honor of seeing my head exploding. That there's actual terms for this. This is why we love having you here, Ryan. You go deep, deep inside these games. Deep inside. <laughs> Just smack <laughs> that biscuit. Slap of the biscuit. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> now, you know what? It's a skill game, and it's a skill game that, like, it, it, it demands your focus. It's fast-paced. Does that mean that some people are not going to be as good as other people at this game? Yes. Does it mean that somebody who's played it a thousand times is going to beat the snot out of you? Yes. Uh, But it does mean that it's a game that you can get better at. It does mean that it's a game that you can pay attention and start to find little tricks and and shots that like, oh, hey, this works. And I like that. I, I think it's just fantastic for that. So, for example, think Crokinole. Like,
2: almost everyone that I can think of is number one dexterity game. But at the same time, like... This is just a match that is not going to stop until something happens. Crokinole, mm-hmm. you place the disc down and you flick it and then you wait for your turn. But this one is just constant action. And that's definitely something that
0: uh, drives me to this one as well. I think Clask is probably my favorite dexterity game. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Ste- uh, Brown, Steven, we love you. Brown Castle Games, <laughs> we love you. But uh, you know what? I think people love... Crokinole because it feels classy, right? You have a cigar and a port and you flick the disc and what. Now, nobody's slapping the biscuit when they're playing Crokinole. That that happens in class. Yes, it
1: does. All the time, time. all over the place. We need to work on it. Hashtag slapping the biscuit. Slapping the biscuit.
0: All right, guys. This is what's going to make this an an easy review for us. As we go to bit number three where we talk complexity. Can you hold a magnetic piece and hit a ball? That's the
1: complexity. <laughs> that, that's it. Bit well, number I, five. Oh, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say the one little bit though that you missed here. All right. With the complexity is you're holding the magnetic steering, the steering magnets. That's right. Underneath the board. Mm-hmm. So it's not like air hockey where you're right on top and you can see where it is. Just that little bit there does make it a little bit tricky for people that aren't great at dexterity games because they see it moving, but they can't see their hand. So it's one of those things that's a little bit difficult for some people.
2: I understand that may make it seem a bit more complex as compared to air hockey, but as far as complexity as a whole, that's more, I feel like, of
0: a skill thing. Uh, Oh,
2: that's a
0: learning curve. Yeah,
2: that's definitely one of those. Good point, good point. Yeah.
0: Oh, bit number four, rulebook and learning curve. Rulebook's like three pages, and it just goes over the basic rules that Scott did in the walkthrough. You can go on BGG, and the description of the game is basically the rules. It's one paragraph. It's so easy. But the learning curve, dude, it took me like 30 games before I learned to stop letting my striker fall into my own goal. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was my downfall
2: so much at the beginning. And then I was like... And then i kept on getting the biscuits like attached to my striker and i was mm-hmm. like oh that's how you lose also oh my goodness there's just there's just so much improvement you're right on this um but yeah the learning curve i suppose the learning curve comes into play when it's in terms of like learning some specialty moves that you can do because there are specialty moves i even learned one from a world cup competitor uh how you can like side swipe a biscuit if you do it fast enough and with enough of a, a of a turn before you hit it, the biscuit itself will actually not try to attach itself to your striker. It'll actually just fly towards your opponent's
0: striker. And so, like he was doing that to me a lot. There's just a you lot of things you can You can knock it into in the this. other guy. So, yeah, Scott. We're- Ryan and I are at PAX, and you're, you're over there working with Berkey, doing your thing. Ryan and I signed up for a tournament. We we're like, oh, dude, you could win this special board. This is amazing. Dude, we're doing it. Oh, you could win gift cards. You could win gift cards mm-hmm. if you're in top eight. 64 people signed up, and I was I feel like we're in the, the top 10%, right? So the guy that's running it is this, this pro player that uh, that Ryan's mentioning, and he shows Ryan how to do this. We're in between rounds, and Ryan's like, Pat, psst, come here. Get over I was like, what? He's like, watch this. <laughs> And he's showing me and he's like, okay, now you do it. And we sat there in between rounds practicing, like slapping the the biscuits into <laughs> each other's into each other's pawn to get it mm-hmm. to connect to the other pawn. And we found out that, whoa, wait a minute. You can attack the other player using the biscuit, not just hitting the ball into it, into their into their peg, but mm-hmm. you could actually hit the the biscuit itself to get it to connect to their striker. And it's like, this is a game changer. Whoa, we're we're gonna win this thing, we're gonna take it down.
2: Yeah. These are strong ma- these are strong magnets. And so to do it in oh, such yeah. a way where it doesn't attach to your own striker
0: and just pop away from you is difficult. And you'll note the pip has to be up. If the pip is face down, it ain't gonna happen. If Correct. I'm not mistaken, the pip had to be either up or down, one or the other.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a stronger that. magnet on the top side. Uh sorry, when you placing the biscuits, you're supposed to place it so that the stronger part of the magnet, which is actually denoted by like a circle, yeah. uh uh, yeah, that side has to be up. It's called the pip, and apparently that has to be up. So it's kind of like a die pip, mm-hmm. um, and that's where the magnet is. So if they're not up and they're down, there's this is not going to work.
0: Now, another opportunity that we had to play this a lot was at PGX, mm-hmm. the Retro Gaming Con here in Pittsburgh. And the way that we set up our booth, you, you'll recall, and I've told this story before, Adventures, where we needed something to do, right? We're at a retro video game convention. We're the board game, guys. We can't set up a board game. There's not a video game that we can set up to play. So we're like, you know what? We're going to clask, and you're going to play us, and you're going to get tickets if you beat us. You have a ticket for playing us, ticket if you beat us. Scott, you must have played what a hundred games a class that weekend. Oh, what do you think about the learning curve? Because I know you improved throughout the weekend, and I know that you saw a lot of people step up to the bat for the well, step up to the plate for the first time. What do you think? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, as far as the learning curve, it, I think if anything, it was more of a th- of a problem of people being nervous of being embarrassed playing than having oh, okay. a problem learning the game. Sure. They're just sure. Like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to play, I don't want to play. It wasn't a problem that's, I can't figure out the game. You stand behind somebody for two minutes, you can figure out how to play the game. So I don't think that there's really a problem with the learning curve at all. And that's a great thing that you can just jump right in and play it. And this is such a social kind of a party game in a way. Um, you can easily have a bunch of friends over, throw together a, a class tournament uh, at your place, have a barbecue, just have a good old time playing it. So, yeah, learning curve, very, very simple.
0: Bit number five, we talk about the meat of the game. What's the part that you're really trying to do and do well? It's kind of tough to say for class. Guys. You're trying to get the ball into a goal. That's that's the meat of the game. <laughs> Not fall into your own goal yeah, and don't man, let the yeah. ball go in your own.
2: that's, yeah. That,
1: that's uh, yeah, I think that's a good summation of everything.
2: Like, honestly,
0: the meat of the game, I think, is just the competition aspect of it. That's that's pretty much it. Okay, then, number six, replayability, variability. You're not going to have any variables. It's always going to be the same game in front of you, aren't you? The only variable I would say is, like, the skill of your opponent.
2: Yeah. Uh, but aside from that, no variability. Replayability, 199
0: million percent. <laughs> where, where does that stem from? You know, nothing changes. Is it because it's it's so quick or quick-paced or because you want to do better with each play? Why is it that we keep coming back to I'm already planning it for PGX next year. I'm going to order the level-up custom top and everything for our nice. table. I know it's what we're doing, and I'm excited for it. Why is that? What keeps us coming back to this one?
2: Oh, uh, I I don't know the drive, uh, the drive. I I, I I that's the only thing I I don't know. It's it's it's, it's psychotic, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I I agree with you on that. In that, it's the same thing as if you're playing basketball. You play basketball, you do a few things, you lose. You know what? If I did something a little bit different, it'll be different. Let's play again. I I, I know what I'm going to do different this time. It's um, the desire to improve. Yeah, it's the same thing. You just want to improve. Even if it's not a huge amount, you just want to prove to yourself you can play a little bit better than what you just showed your opponent. So I think that's definitely the uh, replayability element of it. I think that the feeling of
2: playing another game and possibly winning that can trigger your serotonin in your brain and it's like it just makes you feel good when you actually play a good game it's just like any kind of game where it's like I I feel like I played well like Magic the Gathering like even if you win or lose the fact that like you had a nice battle and stuff that makes you that triggers your serotonin it just makes you feel good about playing it so I think that's
1: (laughs) Ryan, just use the secret word of the day: serotonin. <laughs> ah, it's only taking this time two episodes for someone to use it. Woo!
2: Uh, but
0: yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Scott. <laughs> All right, guys. Bit number seven. Then let's talk about the downsides of class. Yeah, one that sticks out to me is like if your opponent, it, like if it's just a mismatch, if you're not is like if the other person's really really good. It's, you're not going to beat them most of the time. Although I will say, you know, it, it always reigns true in any game that we play. And remember this one, you're only as good as the people you play against, right? If you're always trained, as somebody that I used to play Magic with, uh, explain, and he was uh, one of the Pro Tour guys, and he said, you know, you're only as good as the people that you play against. And that's absolutely true. And that's absolutely true with class too. I think some folks... Dexterity is just not off. Obviously, if you have an impairment of some sort where where you can't handle the, the speed, the if you don't uh, you know if you have a vision impairment, uh, a, a dexterity, a motor function issue, then then yes, unfortunately, that that's going to be a barrier to to entry for you. But uh, aside from that, is there anything that we can say? Oh yeah, that's people aren't going to like this. People are not going to like this game if they have
2: white floors. That biscuit, when it flies out of the board game itself, off the table, you are, you are going (laughs) to lose so many biscuits. Uh, even at the competition, at the competition we were in, every single game, there was two minimum biscuits that flew off the table and everyone had to like look around for this biscuit (laughs) on this white packed floor. Um, so yeah, if you have like a white floor or if you have a lot of small spaces for these things to fly into, Dude's walking like around the tournament with a bucket of biscuits. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but but to be fair, there on the Classic website, there is a way to just buy replacement parts. And so, like, stock up on those. You're going to need them.
0: Walking yeah, around I, like I the colonel with a his bucket of biscuits. Give me a colonel joke. Give me a KFC joke. There's something magical in here.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. I can't think of one. Um, yeah, I, I think the only downside here really is if someone doesn't have good hand-eye coordination, it's not going to be fun for them. Um, They're just going to get to that point where they're doing it and they get frustrated. Just like I kind of go back to one of my employees at a hotel one time that we got a mouse for the computer. She's not used to doing it. So whenever she's trying to move the mouse up, she's lifting it up and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those things there I'm where if sorry. you do not have that thing there, it's it's going to be a problem for you to enjoy.
2: Is it sure. like one of those people with like uh, old school Nintendo systems that like when they make a left turn, their entire body murders. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. <laughs> like, that, that's Scott playing Robo Rally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes.
0: And it's also right. a video game reference, which is another topic eventually. <laughs> Well, let's get on with that topic. Let's uh, let's wrap this one up. Bit number eight. Was it fun? And who's it for? This game is magic. This game's so much fun. I'm gonna have it set up for PGX uh, for PGX next year. I'm excited for it. I want to see people coming up to the booth. Scott, you're right. People were watching and they were figuring out how to learn just from watching the game that was being played before it was their turn. And there were times where we had like like a family would walk by, right, and they'd stop. And before you know it, that family was the line. And other people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I want to play. And the fans, oh, we're we're all waiting. It's like, ah oh, man, it's it's addicting, it's fun. Oh, this game's great. You don't have to love dexterity games. You'd be hard pressed to find somebody that's like, oh no, I don't like air hockey. That's a bunch of crap. This is yeah. very similar, very similar, but with wood and magnets. And I'm telling you, it falls into the board game realm. If you like a game like Crokinole, if you like some of these dexterity games, you're gonna
1: love playing clask. Yeah, if anything, this falls into the whole idea behind uh, PGX in a way, in that the old school arcades, whenever you would go in, you want to play a game, boom, you put your quarter down on the side of the video game that you're next. This Mm. one here was people getting in line, I'm next. Yeah, I I did not ever
2: not have fun. Let Let me see if you can rephrase that. I had fun every single time I played, and I have a feeling that I'm going to have fun anytime I play it.
0: And let's not be humble, Ryan. You top aided
2: in that tournament, didn't you? So did you, but you uh, you thought that you didn't top eight, and so you went (laughs) back to your all play (laughs) table. Or at the time, it was board game (laughs) tables. Yeah. Yes, Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. Well done, nevertheless.
2: All right, guys. So now we're on to the review from last year. And I have to say, this is a game that I have almost played like three times, almost, but never did. And that's The Great Wall. Now, I'm going to pass this on to you guys because I listened to your review last year. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, really looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about it this year. Take it away.
0: All right. The Great Wall. This one comes from Awakened Realms. This was a big production. It was kind of an under the radar Kickstarter, but it came out. The reviews were hot and I think it caught a little bit of fire. Great Wall is a worker placement game where you kind of have to work together. Think like, um, oh, what was the word Will used? Co-opetition, right? Mm hmm. You're building the wall, you're getting archers on the wall, you're sending guys out to fight the Mongol cards, all the while you're using your action cards each turn from your hand to determine what you're going to be able to do during the worker placement portion of the round, in which you have to work together. You'll recall, you don't get your workers back and the resources from it until the entire, like every one of the little spaces is full, and that's, in most cases, impossible to do on your own other people got to be there too. So sometimes you could sneak one in or you could sneak in three and really reap the rewards of it. I love this game. A replayability out the wazoo what with the advisor cards and your leader card giving you so much direction and they come from a massive deck. I've actually since bought it. When we did the review, that was Nikki's copy. I borrowed Nikki's to play it, it came out of Nikki's basement. Brought it to us and we got the chance to play it several times. I missed it I missed it. I was getting lonely, and I was like, I want some Great Wall. Mike wanted to buy it, too. I showed Mike how to play, and he's like, dude, I want to buy
3: it. You know
1: what? We're going to Brendan's this week on Sunday.
0: Scott, you should come and we'll play Great Wall.
1: Oh, hey, hey, definitely. Now, me, I was personally upset that this wasn't based on that classic movie with Matt Damon and Pedro Pascal. <laughs> you did Great mention Wall. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so instead of uh, multicolored dragons and, like, the the ancient Power Rangers, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. You're fighting Mongols. Yeah, whatever. Give me the dragons, Mm. man. But no, anyway, this was one that visually, it's like someone visually vomited on this board. There is so much going on. But once you figure out how things go, there is a simplicity and beauty to this board where you need to put things to go up on the walls, the archers, everything else. And then you just see the beautiful patterns that show up in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree completely that this is uh, this is one of those games that kind of got lost. I know whenever the Kickstarter was out, I'd see a lot of ads for it, but there wasn't a lot of talk about it. After it came out, everyone's like, we really missed the boat on this. We need to get this game. And Absolutely. really, it's it's one I'm definitely looking forward to trying again. It's easy to come back
0: to also I mentioned the the leader and the advisor cards how they can shape a play. And I know last year I talked about somebody had the the leader that gives you bonuses for archers, they were able to acquire an advisor, they gives you points every time you use an archer and like they were just the archery range. That was they were like okay, mm-hmm. this is this is my direction. I'm going to hammer it. Somebody else was the builder and shooting to build wall sections. You're working together because you don't want the Mongols to breach, and yet sometimes you know what? It's not as bad for you, so you don't have to send troops to the wall. They have that shame that you get if you don't, uh, if, you, if you're oh, not yes. contributing. But there's ways of getting rid of shame, and some of the some of the asymmetries allow uh, for some players to do it better than others. It's it's a reason why I think it's going to be easy to keep coming back to uh, to to the Great Wall. Now we don't replay a whole lot because we always have to do the next thing for the show, right? We all, that's, that comes with being in a podcast, but there's a part of me that's like, you know what? I have those games set aside for some time when the show's done, when we've ro- rode off into the sunset. And I keep that handful of games that this is one that I'll continue to come back to and the great walls among them. This to me is a fantastic game. I think I put it at number two or three of all the games that we reviewed last year.
1: Well, that's definitely saying something there about this game. The Great Wall. All right, gentlemen, we got a question in the
0: mailbag. And this one, I turn into today's discussion. This comes from Cheese Abuser. Well then. (laughs) Cheese Abuser says, what's the best video game adaptation of a board game? Also, what's the best board game adaptation of a video game? Now that is some thought-provoking stuff. That's a big one that we could go on and on and on for. So I thought, you know what? I want to get your opinions on this. We're going to talk about it a little bit. I put that up on the Book of Face so that we can find out what some other people's opinions are, get some of the community's thoughts on some of the best. Uh, Why don't we start here? What makes a board game adaptation of a video game good? and vice versa. What what do we think is that magical thing that says, you know what? Yeah, they really captured it. Uh, it, Something's got to differentiate between the good ones and the bad. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, actually, Scott, I do have a few things to say about that, if you don't mind me taking the floor. Please do. Thank you. Um, So I'm just going to answer the first one for now. So what makes a board game adaptation of a video game good? Yeah. So I'm going to say, and first and foremost, I feel like there are far more, far more board games that are based on video games than vice versa. I had a hard time doing the alternate part of that. But for this one, it was was quite simple. And I think the reason being is because there was already a visual start to this question, which is the video game part of it. Mm -hmm. There is like video. So you're actually like watching things happen. Uh, There is uh, a lot more that you can do on a computer as far as like, you know, the processing of what happens, menu bars, and all these things that are just readily available by the click of a button or sorry, click Mm -hmm. of a mouse or tap of a button. So these big, gigantic productions of a story in a form where you can move around and do all sorts of things is already going to be pretty difficult to make into a board game. So I feel like if a board game wanted to make a great adaptation of a video game, I just think that they have to stick with as much of the original content as possible. If a game and some of its major aspects have to do with like, you know, flying a dragon perhaps, and uh, who knows, I don't I'm just Throwing uh, an idea out there, so like for most mm-hmm. of the game, you're flying a dragon. No, right. I th- I think one of the big things that a board game could do is have you fly a dragon. You know, maybe stats, maybe like uh, you know how to turn the dragon. You know, some kind of a way to do that. Maybe like improve abilities of the dragon if that happens in the game as well. But like, I really feel like since there was already an established gigantic thing or production of a video game, try to make it so that the board game enhances the bigger parts of the video game. And I, I, I guess that's that's how I figured out my choices uh, as far as that's concerned. Uh, any ideas on that there, Scott? I think
1: you really kind of hit on something. And I think that they both work well as far as having them be complementary to the other. Like uh, if the video game complements the, the board game and vice versa... That's the nice thing about it, because it allows you to experience it in different ways. So, Mm. yeah, you may be someplace where you have your TV or you have your computer, your laptop, you're playing your video game. You have a great time. Then you're going on a camping trip or something. Well, you don't have that. Well, you know what? I have the board game, so I can still enjoy it. Maybe not exactly the same, but I'm still in that same universe, that same environment to enjoy that game. So I think that's the biggest thing there. Something that complements the other. That's that's my idea behind it.
2: Yeah. And, and to add on to that, thank you for saying the whole idea about complementary. Because, yes, I, I feel like to make a board game adaptation of a video game good, yes, it has to be. The board game has to complement the video game. It can't do as much but it could come close and it could get you into that world and into that feeling of actually doing something like you did in the video game. I think it's a little different as far as the video game adaptation as a board game, because a video game can show a lot more. And so like, Mm -hmm. if you just have the, uh, not to downplay anybody else's ideas of what makes a good board game, video game, if the video game adds to the board game, like doesn't change it, just adds to it. Like some very, very nice visual effects or something really, really cool that you can see happening in front of you. I just think that because a video game programmer can do a lot more things uh, instead of like crafting components, they just have to program something. I feel like a video game
0: making a board game better is the way to go. Well, that, that's the layup. Yeah, that they should be able to because they have so many more tools at their disposal. They have, they have your visual, uh, they have your, they have more of your senses all together at once. They get to play music, you know, and when you click a button and you swing a sword, it makes a swoosh, right? Things should only, only be more enhanced going going that way. Yes. I think going from video game to board game. The challenge is capturing the magic, Ryan. You're saying it, you know a lot of it might come down to m- maybe emphasizing the main parts of a game. To me, it's a, I, I kind of like the feeling side of it. You know, I, I like feeling. I, I, when I think video game, I think of like playing Legend of Zelda when I was a kid, and the feeling, yeah. you know, being a little kid with my controller and getting frustrated and whatnot. I kind of want those quests i want that sensation on the board or even now if it's something oh beautiful he's got the gold cart oh ryan do you have a regular nintendo down there too you're like he's he's gonna try and get his nintendo ryan you're the grown-up that i wish i was wow with zelda (laughs) on it too oh my god okay so When I think of what's going to make a board game adaptation of a video game good, it's got to capture the magic. It doesn't have to be old school. It doesn't have to necessarily like tap into my nostalgia. There are new games. Uh, We'll say Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery. One that that, that I backed, actually. That's based on Borderlands. What do I like about Borderlands? I like finding out what the next gun I'm going to get is and who the next baddie I'm up against is. And I think that that's something that they tried to capture. Now, it's not out yet. We've sampled it. We haven't played the full game yet, but it feels like That's what they're doing. They have hundreds of cards to emulate randomization of weapons that you can find, and you can't do it all in one playthrough. So you're gonna get it different every time. Thus, I think that's gonna help capture that Borderlands sensation. So that's gonna give us a little bit on the, the, what's gonna make for what's good. What are we defining as good? How are we picking the games that we're picking? So let's get on with it. Ryan, you're the guest. I'm gonna give you the floor. What's your favorite board game adaptation? of a video game?
2: Well, uh, if it's fair, uh, I will talk about one. But then I will tell you my actual number one choice. Okay, Uh, sure. So the first one I'm going to talk about, which I just recently played and haven't played through all the way, so that's why I'm just talking about it, is so far I am really enjoying the Elder Scrolls Skyrim, the adventure board game. So it is capturing a lot of the video game. You can start the game as any kind of character. And then when you're building up the character, you can build it up to be some kind of a sneaky archer by equipping a a bow and then also getting the sneak enhancement ability, which you get after getting a certain amount of experience, which you do by battling monsters in dungeons. Uh, You're just going around the map and doing certain things depending on where you are. If you're in town, Mm -hmm. you can craft things. If you're in a dungeon, you can go in and fight. Mm And you have quests that you do, and some of the quests come straight from the video game. It doesn't seem like a lot, but the whole artistic aspect of it, you're actually seeing the entire world of Tamriel, which is where The Elder Scrolls takes place. And To lead them. Okay, you're in timeout. But uh, <laughs> I- I'm just loving how you're moving around this map and doing these quests as you would in the the video game and you know i'm already just a huge fan of bethesda so uh that's the company that makes the video games and so seeing it come to life in my favorite form of play which is board games it's just something that really really gets me which uh by the way as at some point in time in another episode we're probably going to talk i i definitely want to talk about the new elder scrolls game that is coming from chip theory but we're going to go beyond that later I did just mention that my favorite company for video games is Bethesda and my choice of the best board game adaptation of a video game is Bethesda also. And this is fallout. Uh, a lot of people have issues with fallout and I understand, but I know there's like two they're...
0: different fallouts. There's that wasteland warfare. Yes. That like is like with a with miniatures. miniatures game. Yeah. And then there's a, a board game. That's like a standalone. Are we talking the standalone? Yes, we're talking about the standalone. All right. Uh, right.
2: Yeah, so um, there's Fallout, as Patrick was saying. Fallout Wasteland Warfare is the miniatures game. Um, I have not played that, so I could not speak on that. Uh, But I am talking about the Fallout game. Uh, It's just called Fallout. It doesn't even say, like, Fallout the board game. It's just Fallout. Either way, that's my choice of the best game. And, again, it's currently because I haven't finished Skyrim, the adventure board game. But everything I see in this game is almost direct from the video game. Like, honestly, you have abilities that you raise up. It's called the special system where you're increasing like your strength, your perception, your endurance, your charisma, the way it levels it up is pretty neat. When you get experience, you keep on going across all the letters that you have uh, have gotten. And when you reach the end of the word, you start back over and then you draw mm-hmm. two tiles. And if it's a new letter, you place it in that spot and you have gained that ability. You can also get perks uh which is a thing in the game as well so these perks allow you to do certain things like the sniper elite is you can shoot anyone from anywhere on the map and you're going around this map and you're fighting these raiders you're fighting bugs mutants you're fighting all sorts of things around the wasteland they're coming towards you but at the same time you're trying to complete the story now this story deck that they use is massive Uh, It has numbers like one through, I want to say the high number in just the base game is 231, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Holy smokes.
2: And when you go into, for example, a colony area, um, you get to flip over one of those cards. Someone else reads it to you and says, you have this choice. You can either do this, which requires this kind of a skill check, or you can try this, which is this kind of skill check. And then you Mm -hmm. perform it, and depending on if you pass or fail, anything can happen. So let's say you pass. Then what you're going to do is you're going to get a card that shows either uh, the faction, which is the Brotherhood of Steel, which has the stars, or the rebels, basically. And how you're trying to work this game is you're trying to get enough check marks or stars, whatever it is. But when you get that certain amount, you win the game. But all this while, you're going through a story and it's like, you're going to see this card if you succeeded, because that's the next part of the story. And it's going to be in like the top three cards or top four cards of a deck where you're drawing from. The issue people have, I can understand, is the fact that the game is so long, it can end abruptly. But, Feeling anticlimactic. Yeah, um, it can end before the story's complete. You could uh, become over- overwhelmed or overcome by the enemies on the board. And I feel like the detriment is because you are trying to play the game like the video game. You're taking your time. You want to check out all these quests. You want to do this. You want to do that. But the game is pushing you to be quick about it or not do it at all because there is a kind of timer that's going on. And it's just so short that you can't do everything you want to. Now, if you were able to just sit there and do all the quests in a row until you get to the end of it. Uh, And, you know, you feel great about completing this entire quest and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that from the video game and this was a really, really good quest. But you can't get there because the timing of the game is just pushing you and forcing you to try to hurry up. That's the detriment I have with this game, but I feel like everything else is phenomenal. But, yeah, that's my favorite board game adaptation of a video game.
0: Fallout. Yeah. Scott, I know you're not the biggest video gamer, but I see you've got an interesting one on here.
1: Yeah, mine was a little bit different. Now, I did used to play video games a lot. N64 was a big one there for me. I got Xbox and stuff. Went to Xbox 360, and that's all the further I've gone. But N64 had a great one, and that was Star Wars Rogue Squadron. This was a great game. The number of times I rent that game from Blockbuster, yes, I'm aging myself. I would <laughs> rent that game and play it over and over and over. And then N64 went pretty much away. You couldn't really find it anywhere. Then Fantasy Flight came out with X-Wing. And once again, there we were with all the great fighters you could play with. And the different maneuvers that you play and getting the different pilots, putting on the different weapons. You got to customize your fighters how you wanted to do it. And you got all these different ways. They had a great way of working out how you're going to fly with different things you clip into the bases of the ship. And you're trying to take a look at everything just like in a video game. You're like, all right, they're flying around that way. I need to fly around that way as well, too. Well, then now here you're looking at the board. And what's going to be most beneficial for me to do? I think I'm going to go and do an Immelman where I'm going to go forward, flip around, so I'm going to be facing the opposite way. They aren't going to expect that. And mm-hmm. then here I am. They go around one way, and there I am lined up for that shot, all ready to go. And I think that was a great way of doing it. Now, I think that's it kind of – drenched the market with this with so many different fighters and so many different cards that it's kind of gotten overwhelming for a lot of people uh, as far as x-wing goes but just the base game and getting in a few tie fighters a few different x-wings a couple of other ships here and there it's still a fantastic game great beer and pretzels game you're getting your star wars in Great, great game there. I love X-Wing. Great way of getting Rogue Squadron from the video game to your table.
0: Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit on this one, guys, because I was racking my brain. I just don't play many video games. I've played two in the last 20 years. I've played two. And those are Borderlands and uh, uh, Slay the Spire. I went crazy on Slay the Spire, which, by the way, has a Kickstarter coming. For me, I'm cheating a little bit because I didn't pick one. I can't say, oh, this is the best. You know, I could say, well, this was my favorite, but I just haven't played like a, a Legend of Zelda board game or a Super Mario board game. So for me to pick one, it, it just wouldn't be fair. So I can talk about some things that I am looking forward to, namely Slay the Spire and Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery, the Borderlands game. Those two got me all kinds of hyped up because I know what I'm expecting. Having played the video game, I don't know what's going to happen on the table. One that I do have in that I'm looking forward to, though, is Frostpunk. Now, I've I've never played Frostpunk, the, the video game. I understand it's it's pretty decent, nice, right? And I've, I've never done it, though. That box looks amazing. The game looks amazing, Scott. We said maybe a month ago or two months ago we're going to try and do this within two months, and uh, our yep. clock is ticking. No, but, I know. Uh, I like the looks of it. Will it capture the video game? I don't know. So I, I am unfortunately not qualified. I'm going to wait and say what the community had to say. But before we do that, let's talk about the video game adaptations of board games. And I will leave this one off because I, I think I can do so. Now I've played crap. There was one on, I think it was on PlayStation. It was like a. It's got you would probably know it. It's a Space Marine type of game. It was. It was a first person shooter. Oh, it was um, a Warhammer uh, space guy. Space Hulk. I think it had fire in the name. It was like a fire team or fire six. It, uh, yeah, Space Hulk fire team. Okay, it was yeah, your
1: Terminator, Blood Angel <laughs> Terminator on board fighting Tyranids. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I have not played Everyone any Warhammer
1: knows that. Duh.
0: I hadn't played any Warhammer. So I just bought the video game. I was like, you know what? I see this this emblem in the shop. I see all these little pieces in the shop. This looks cool. I think I'm going to love this. And it felt like it was two generations behind what other games were on mm-hmm. PlayStation. So it, it just, it was terrible. And then I've tried some of the, it's like the overworld map. Think old school Warhammer where like it's the, the many units and I I haven't been able to to grok those at all. I think it's probably because they were too much uh, to buy the rules. Like they actually tried to emulate the board Mm -hmm. game and those are complex games. And me being thirteen and being like, I'm gonna play Warhammer on my on my Super Nintendo. It just didn't work. What I can attest to though is that uh, we have the fortune of a lot of apps, and I know an app isn't a video game in the classic sense, sure, but apps and Steam give us really good quality production. So I'll mention two that I think. Well, I'll do two in an app that I think stand out. It's just absolutely fantastic. One
2: app through the absolutely. ages
0: for the very good for app. Uh, Through the Ages, New Story of Civilization, it kills it on the table. You're not going to play it on the table anymore because you take a a, a six-hour game, you condense it down to 20 minutes. It's phenomenal. And the the tutorial, how it teaches you how to play that game is second to none. But I'll also go to Steam for a couple of games. One, Root. Uh, Root adds the animations, much like you were talking about, Ryan. When you can add little animations and dust clouds and birds, you know, fighting each other and conking each other on the head... Captures everything that the board game can't do. It adds sound effects that you don't get in a board game. It adds music in the background, which is different. That you know, you can turn on a soundtrack on your on your stereo. while you can tell your Amazon to play it while you're while you're playing your game. No, no, that's that's a bunch of garbage. It's not the same. And Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven's the other one that. Okay, story time. I got Frosthaven. I got Frosthaven, and I was posting pictures. Scott, I was telling you, I was giving you updates. I was going Mm -hmm. to do the big solo thing, and I quit. I quit. I didn't keep going. I'm a bad podcaster because I couldn't even keep up with the hottest game to come out in the last four years, right? It's not the same. I, I played Gloomhaven on Steam. It's fantastic. I played that thing every day for a month until I did everything that you can possibly do in Gloomhaven. Then I got Frosthaven on I, I started assembling a map and started building decks of cards and then writing things down. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good for game one. I, I think that'll be tolerable, you know, having to do all this upkeep, all this maintenance. It was not. It absolutely was not. Uh, I'm sorry. For me, I, I'm not going to play Frosthaven until they have it in video game form or on Steam. So that's that's my take on best video game adaptations of board games. We'll just, uh, we'll snake draft. We're going to go back to Scott.
1: All right. Well, this board game came out, well, kind of board game came out, uh, we're on almost 40 years ago now. And they have barely changed the rule set for this at all. And this that's saying something about the basic rule set that they had. This here has to do with a little miniatures game from FASA that was called Battletech. Now, some mm. of them know MechWarrior, they know Battletech, but then they came out with a video game of it. Now, once again, like I said, I had N64, I always did Nintendo stuff, and then Xbox had to go and come out with MechWarrior for their Xbox. Well, crap, I got to get in on this. So I did, I bought an Xbox, I bought MechWarrior, this was great. I mean, I adored the base box set with all the miniatures, but now I'm inside the cockpit and I'm doing all this. You mm-hmm. can hear me stomping around, crushing people, blowing up buildings, blowing up other mechs, seeing them melt down. Oh, it is just fantastic. And then they had to come out with Mech Warrior 2. Of course, course. I knew. Oh, of course. Even better. You get in the cockpit of an Atlas. How can you not be, like, thrilled and, like, goosebumps coming up? That is freaking awesome. So absolutely love that. I think that is one of the best things there because sometimes you look at Battletech, and for someone that's just coming into it, it can look overwhelming with all the little dots you have to fill in with the armor and what type of weapons you have and how far you can shoot and how many dice you roll for this, but then I jump this turn so it takes away from this, and then I have to do this, but then I have only so many heat points I can use. It's a little overwhelming. Getting the computer to do all that for you while you're actually sitting in the cockpit of it, that's a winner. So how can you not enjoy Mech Warrior and Mech Warrior 2? those are two of my favorite ones going to a video game from a board game
2: that sounds beautiful now I never had uh, an original Xbox so I have no idea what Battletech is I have not seen the board game uh, for Battletech but man that sounds massive and fun <laughs> Stop giving me that phase uh, I, I do want I do want to play it. A good thing about this podcast is you're learning about all sorts of games, too. And so, like, I, I'm hearing these things, and it's just getting me excited to keep on playing more
1: and more new games or games. You just... might have to get some Alpha Strike at Origins. Oh, I think
0: another sleepover is in order.
1: Oh. I'm going to
2: bring my Legend of Zelda pajamas. Yes.
0: Set. Yes.
2: <laughs> but I have a few for my favorite video game adaptations. I'm going to first talk about one that, as a kid... I played this and I thought it was one of the best board games in the world. It was really, really fun. Uh, we actually played by the rules, which did not make it a long game. And just after saying that, I'm pretty sure you guys are understanding what game I'm talking about. You're
0: talking uh, about Monopoly.
2: I am, a game that came out in the 1930s. Well, before, uh, after it was changed from something else. But
0: well, The Landlord's be- Game.
2: It came out for the Nintendo system, NES, in 1991. Hmm. I remember playing that so much as a kid when we first got the NES. Because when we got the NES, I never had like Zelda yet or anything. I just had things like Wheel of Fortune and Monopoly. But Monopoly, if you think about it, Monopoly the NES game just completely enhances the board game, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I mean, it may be the same thing. You actually like see dice being thrown. You actually see yourself moving around the board. You know, that's everything that happens in the board game. But then some animations such as like the beauty pageant and like you see the flickering of the cameras on the screen and like you hear some cheering that just makes you feel like you actually did win a beauty contest in it. When you go to jail, you actually hear that clang of the jail cell (laughs) closing (laughs) on you Mm -hmm. and like you see yourself in bars and getting small. Yes, exactly. So I just wanted to bring that up that this is an example of a game I was talking about where like a video game has the ability to enhance a board game and that's what they should do if they want it to be better. And that's one of the ones I wanted to talk about. Another one I just- We
0: brought him on the show and he said the best adaptation is Monopoly.
2: (laughs) It's Monopoly. (laughs) Uh, Not the best, but it's a good one to talk about. I also have one more to talk about before I talk about my best, and a lot of people are fans of this game, and it's mostly because they played it as a kid, and it was like it was like you were a barbarian and you were like smacking people with like this giant axe and sewed. Broad bro, Exactly, you know exactly what I am talking about too. The sewed A lot of people don't realize, but they did make video games for Hero Quest. Mm. They have it on the, do you remember the Commodore Amiga?
0: No. You're going back.
2: Yeah. And they also had it on like old school MS-DOS. So you were able to play this game in a 3D environment where you were moving your hero along this, again, 3D area. And you were Mm -hmm. casting your spells, and you were fighting the monsters that you saw. And the, yeah, so like I I never actually played it, but like I saw videos for it, and I'm like, wow, this this makes Hero Quest good. I wish I had a Commodore Amiga just to, <laughs> just, just to check this out. Uh, but yeah, Hero Quest. Uh, a lot of people's like the best thing about Hero Quest is the Commodore Amiga video game.
0: Exactly. <laughs> oh, I was waiting for it. If you didn't do it, I was gonna do it. Uh, you can't take that
2: away from me. That's that's one of the best YouTube uh, YouTube videos ever. I, I really wish I could meet that guy. <laughs> But no, I'm gonna talk about my best now. I was a kid and uh, again, this this goes back. Uh, So this is an an older uh, game and after you hear what it is, you'll definitely like have flashback memories of it. But I used to not know how to play this specific game in particular. I was, I wanna say about like six or seven years old when I first played it. And it's because of this game that I played on my DOS, my Windows DOS computer, my MS-DOS. Imagine a rock. Like a gigantic rock coming at you slowly, taking his fists, going like this, and smashing this little knight into the ground.
0: I had no idea where you were going with it until you said smashing a knight. And I was like, I think I know where you're going with this. Or you have this magical looking
2: person go to you and turn you into a little insect and then squish you. These are some of the things you will find in Battle Chess for the MS DOS. Going to Battle Chess—that's your favorite. It is. It is my favorite. I learned how to play chess with Battle Chess. Like I don't think uh, seeing a sixty-four square black and white checkered thing with these pieces—I never even thought about wanting to try to play that, like at all. Like my stepfather had a set always set up, Mm -hmm. never played it. It was just there. And I was like, well, this looks, this is boring. It's just a black and white board and has like mm-hmm. little plastic little pieces. But when this was in our computer and I got to play on a computer, I had to ask permission because I was like seven or six Playing battle chess really, oh yeah! By the way, these are brutal kind of like takedowns when a pawn like beats a pawn or a queen takes something. It's an actually brutal thing. And like as a six or seven year old, I got to play that, so that was great. <laughs> uh, but, graphic but, violence, indeed. Yeah. But at the same time, I was learning how to play chess with this sure, game sure. right here, and you actually see an animation. It's like, yeah, cool. I took the rook. Like you don't actually usually do that when you play an in-person game of board game chess. You're just like, click. All right. I took your rook. No, this one is like, oh, he took out his sword and like, he started stabbing away at the rocks and he crumbled and like, he just stood victorious with his sword in the air and he took over the place. It's on
0: like eight bit graphics. You can't even tell oh, what yeah. the hell's happening, but here we are as children <laughs> like, yeah,
2: I will, tell- him. I will tell you that this is the slowest games of chess you will ever play. But aside from that, that is that is my favorite video game adaptation of a board game. It got me into chess, which got me into playing competitively, which got me into enjoying other kinds of board games. And so like, I have to give a, a good amount of credit to battle
0: chess. Well, not to be outdone, we would like to get the thoughts of the community. So we're going to wrap this up with what some of you said. We're going to start with Adam, who says, Gloomhaven, the tabletop version is a nightmare compared to digital, in my opinion. And... And I'm telling you, Adam, I'm right there with you. I 100% agree. Our own Archmage Andrew says Skyrim the board game or Fallout the board game, but only with the Atomic Bond expansion, particularly liking it that way. So I promised that I did not
2: know what he was going to say or like what anybody commented with before I made mine. So I feel like like you and me got to hook up, Andrew. We got to play
1: some games. Now, Bill said that uh, I've enjoyed the Gears of War and actually very interested in the new Gears of War card game, Resident Evil 2, Sniper Elite, and Super Motherlode. Now, I'm not familiar with Super Motherlode, but consider me my interest peaked because that just sounds interesting. And, you know, we had a few people say Super Motherlode, so
0: I'm right there with you. I want to find yeah. out what the hell that is. Sniper Elite's been pretty hot. People have mm-hmm. been liking that one. I do know that Super Motherload. I did own at one point in time. It is a very,
2: very, very unique deck builder that I saw Mm -hmm. the rules for but never played it. But, yeah, you know, based on all of this, I I, I really should just get a copy and actually play it instead of just stare at it.
1: Now, Jesse said that I've played a few tabletop games on phone apps or computers, much like you there, Patrick. Mm -hmm. Risk, Axis and Allies, Oceans, Wingspan, and Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven was really good, but uh, not a huge fan of any of them. And I prefer a physical game in front of me. The reason I started gaming is to get my face out of a screen. I agree and that's with a you factor. There. Yeah. And that's a factor. A lot of us don't like the screens. You know, yes. I'm gaming for the
0: games and for the people, sure, the, the social aspect. But, like, the game's got to be good. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the game's just that much better on a screen. But I, I think we're all in this hobby and not in video games because, to a large extent, I'd say we all agree. mm-hmm. We also have a Charles here who is saying that his favorite
2: is civilization in all its forms is better than the board game. Not that the board game is bad; it's just twenty hours. Cut. <laughs>
0: Fair, point. Fair uh, point. I would I would feel like, the
2: time frame. Yeah, I feel like Patrick would know more about this because I, I I can tell he's a Civ game player. I have not played Civilization in any of its forms other than A New Dawn, uh, which is actually not too long. But yeah, Patrick,
0: do you play any of the other Civilization games? Um, you know what? I tried doing. Uh, Was it Sid Meier's Civ Six? Uh, my buddies, the lobsters were like, dude, you got to play this game. You got to play this game. And I, it was one of those. I gave it two nights and never went back to it. No, I didn't hate it. I just like life happened and it just went on the back burner and never got back to it. Fair enough. I also have a Jesse here who says, I feel like almost
2: any game is potentially better in digital form and game scoring setup and access to more people. The only downside is when they aren't designed or balanced well. When the AI is hard, even on easy mode, or when the game crashes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Yeah, I get sure. that too. Well, adventurers, I hope this helps you figure out what would be the best video game to board game or board game to video game. And, Cheese Abuser, first of all, I think you may have some issues, but second of all, thank yeah. you so much for sending us this great, great question.
0: i tell you what buddy it's getting late just you and me now we got to do our top five of the most recent 10 reviews that we do excellent first things first we're going to go over what exactly did we review in the last 10 planet unknown terracotta army mythic mischief wonderland's war obsession lacrimosa gi joe the deck building game Cora rise of an empire brazil imperial and clask. How about I lead it off, Scott, so that you can uh, you can have the final say in our top five. This go, you ready? Sounds good, sir. My number five is clask, and it would be Planet Unknown. Uh, let's just be clear right there. If we're talking like board game specific and keeping things like clask out of it, but uh, I, you know, clask is perhaps not the better game, and, and it's frankly not better than like Brazil or Cora in the classic board game sense, but I think that Clask is so good at what it does that I can't leave it off of this list. It's engaging for all ages. It's remarkably easy to learn, to improve at. You can play casual. You can go competitive. It's not a game that you're going to feature on game night. It's not the crown jewel of your shelf, but you know what? It's damn good. So my number five, Clask.
1: Well, I will take your place of what you were going to have there and say, number five is planet unknown for me. Now, This is for the reason of, I mean, you have the uh, Lazy Susan in the middle, you have all the different Tetris pieces put in, making sure everything goes together in the right way to be most productive. Mm -hmm. Just such an interesting way of putting together a game that could be kind of meh, but really put it together to make it an exciting game, a fun game to play. So Planet Unknown is my number five. My number four is Lacrimosa. Uh, Lacrimosa.
0: Lacrimosa is a phenomenal action selection euro. It's got multiple routes to pursue points. It's got those aha moments that make you feel clever. You know, like those um, big payoffs. There's some big payoffs that happen towards the end. You couple that with the unique theme, the quality production. Lacrimosa was a standout for me. It's my number four.
1: Okay, well, this is where we're going to change. My number four is Wonderland's War. Now, this was was one that was quite interesting. I wasn't sure exactly what to expect with this one. And whenever we actually got it to the table and played it, I really enjoyed it. The thing that made it even better was that we just set it up and played it again so we Mm could actually really get a good feel for it. The whole idea of bag building and going around and having the different battles and the different sections of Wonderland really made it a fun experience. All the minis in it really were made it special as well, too. Great production, great game, lots of fun. Wonderland's War. Before I hit my number three, I just want to take a moment and appreciate the fact, Scott, that when we
0: do this, it's usually like there's one or two that are like, okay, these are my top two. And then after that, I got some shuffling to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I won't say the game, but in the 10 that we did, there was only one game that to me was like, eh, that's not going to be in my top five. You mm-hmm. know, what I'll say the game. It's Mythic Mischief. To me, it just didn't wow me. And it, mitcha, mitcha. <laughs> it, yeah. it's not going to be in my top five. But the other nine could all have been on here. And, uh, you know, it was it was a great run of 10, I guess yep. the point. So my number three is Terracotta Army, and guess what I did? What? You got bought it. A, yeah, I bought a coffee <laughs> for myself, too. <laughs> I love that work replacement wheel. I like manipulating it with coin to get exactly what I need. There's a billion different branches on that decision tree, starting in turn one. The miniatures filling up the tomb give it a great table presence. Uh, I grabbed it to show Mike and Brendan this weekend, and I'm excited to see what they think, too. It's my number three Terracotta Army.
1: All right, now my top three, I think that anyone looking at this list might be able to figure out what my top three are. So my number three right now is it's got to be G.I. Joe. I mean, I love the old stuff there. I love the whole idea of Joe's versus Cobra, all the expansions. It really takes me back to reliving my childhood with those things. It is so much fun. I truly, truly enjoy it. I get sucked into that game. All the different characters, whenever I flip it over, I'm like, ooh, I got tunnel rat this time. Oh, 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 there's Wild Bill. It's I just absolutely love it. I have a great time every time I play it. And I just try and think any way I can get it back on my table and play it. So G.I. Joe, deck building game, that's mine.
0: On to number two, and for me, that's Wonderland's War. This might be my favorite game on the table in just this moment, as in playing it live, showing it off to someone new, maybe getting some friends together that have played it a couple times. This game has it all. The variable player powers and the Wonderlandian cards, they just keep sucking me back in and trying to find new interesting combos every time I play. I love the tension in the battle phase, Pulling things out of the bag. As the hand empties, they have a chip in it. Trying to decide whether or not to push your luck. This game <laughs> is fun with a capital F. And you couple that with the fact that it looks fantastic. It is deluxe 100%. For me, that does weigh in a little bit. Even without it, Wonderland's War is amazing.
1: It's my number two. Okay, very good. My number 2 we'll go a little bit different here. My number two was Lacrimosa. Now, that was basically due to I loved the idea of the theme of this game with everything with Mozart and all this stuff. It was so very, very interesting. The music background of it, the the symphony, the action planning, so many things were just fantastic. I was so excited to get this game. I got it, and I was absolutely wowed by it. So I have to say that that is my next one there. Uh, Lacrimosa, number two. Scott, when we started this batch of 10
0: and we kicked it off and uh, Planet Unknown was on there, I was like, man, that's got to be, that's going to be like number one. And then we hit Wonderland's War. And I was like, this is hands down number one. This is probably going to be my favorite one that we do all year. And then I played Obsession. (laughs) What can I say? This game is Just that good. Wonderland's War could have taken this spot, perhaps, if it had a BGA representation. You know, if if I was able to access it like I can Obsession. Mm -hmm. I've played Obsession nearly 400 times in two months, which is, first of all, yeah, first of all, that's (laughs) clinically insane. Uh, Second of all, that is a sign of a game that I absolutely love. Uh, It is Mm -hmm brilliant it is absolutely brilliant uh, through and through particularly and to me the way to play is a two-player a heads-up game particularly in two-player because when you make a decision it directly impacts what they can do and when they make a decision it directly impacts what you can do the third person that makes it more of a king of the hill and not king of the hill but more of a randomness i love this game one-on-one you got to get cash. You got to raise your reputation. You got to have decent service staff. And holy crap, you gots to get them prestige guests all while trying to score some points off of your objectives. It's fantastic. I can't say enough good things about it. I can cherry pick some downsides, but what's the point? I've played it 400 times and I'm still going. I'm going to go again tonight. I'm still excited for it. Uh, it is it's one of my favorites of all time. Clearly the number one of these Most recent, 10.
1: All right. Well, here's where we're going to diverge greatly. Bullshit. So (laughs) number one (laughs) is obsession for me. Okay. I was going to say there's no way it's not obsession. But my divergent comes from not the whole idea of two player. This is the idea of getting more players. I love the theme of this game. I love the idea of building out the story of getting the different people to come to your place, to get the, to raise your prestige, to try and do better. You see what other people are doing. I'm not going out there to actually put my foot on the throat of the person I'm going against there to play and do better than them. I just like the idea of, hmm, what's well, going to be the most interesting thing to do? <laughs> let's build. Oh, I don't know. Let's go with the brushing room. That could be fun. And it, that's just what I do with it. Sure. There's other ways to play it, but I just love the idea of playing it differently and just seeing what happens. Uh-huh. If I win, Hey, that's awesome. If I lose, I still had a great time. No yeah. matter what I have had a great time. Every time I've played obsession, this is such a great game. No matter if you win or lose, I'm still having a good time playing this game. And I still have to say thank you, thank you, thank you to Ryan for supplying me with this piece of cardboard crack here that I keep on wanting to play. So I thank you very, very much. Obsession is my number one. I think the last time we synced up was Barrage.
0: And other than that, I don't know that we've ever synced up on number one in in top ten. I don't think so, no. Maybe Return to Dark Tower. We might have synced up on that one. It's saying something, is my point yeah. that that we both picked Obsession in there. That's fantastic. Boy, looking forward to the next i I'm, I'm really, really glad that you guys really liked Obsession. Get out of here! <laughs> You're not supposed to be back
2: till oh, the end. I, I honestly thought you were like just doing like a a, a non-recorded vam- banter. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I said get out.
1: <laughs> All right, Patrick Ryan. Whoo! This has we been epic. It. That's a big one. Yes, so it So I say, let's just cut it and go to bed. No, we can't. We can't. We have one more thing. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. We got to see how we leveled up. So can't forget that. I, I got one. Can I jump in real quick with mine? It's do Tell it. us, Scott. All right. Mine is really kind of crazy. I got a message from somebody I had no idea who the hell it was. They asked me, did you play Clayton in Disney's Tarzan musical? And I'm like, <laughs> yes. Uh why? He is in charge of a camp for special needs children in Michigan. Uh-huh. So once again, I haven't a clue how he figured this out. I don't here. even know where that is. No, no. I didn't I, I mean, how does anyone in Michigan know where Scottsdale is? So he contacted me and we're working things out here, getting a script put together, and I'm going to be playing Clayton, the nice villain from Tarzan. I'm going to be doing a video scavenger hunt for these kids. Wow. And nice. it's what they sent me so far. It looks like it's going to be an absolute blast. I'm going to have so much fun just being over the top evil in this thing here. And I'm <laughs> super excited. So it makes me feel wonderful that somehow, somewhere, someone found my acting in another state. And uh, I get to do this once again because Clayton was an absolute blast. Is
0: it possible that this guy was just emailing everyone? Like like opened the phone book and started dialing. And yet it just kept getting emails back. No, that wasn't
1: me. No, that wasn't me. No, that you wasn't. You can't and- pop this bubble, Patrick. No, nope, you can't <laughs> pop this bubble. He just started compiling a list of all Scott Waltons everywhere. Oh, well, you speaking think of I don't of- have that on Facebook? We have the world of Scott Waltons. I have about thirty-three uh, Scott Walton friends. There's actually another Scott Walton who married a Heather. So there's two Scott and Heather Waltons on the planet.
0: I might level up this go. Uh, speaking of uh, popping bubbles, my uh, my belt line's been bubbling a little bit lately, and uh, it, it was time to start to you know working off the winter weight. So I, I've been get a sad this- for it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not that kind of. I'm sorry. Uh, I <laughs> No, yeah, I I signed up for the Path of the Flood Half Marathon. They call it Path of the Flood because it's in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which in 18, I think it was 1889, they experienced a flood. And uh, you go into Johnstown nowadays and there are actual like, you know, markings and whatnot to say this is how high the water level was. There's there's documentaries based on it. It's actually quite a sad story. A lot of folks passed away and and were killed as a result of this flood, but uh, they do a, a half marathon there now it's a little over it's uh, like 14 miles and you follow like basically you're going the path that the water would have traveled and you work your way all the way down into Johnstown at the end and you know what I I, I love junk food and I have a hard time motivating myself to, to exercise to watch when I'm eating but once I put skin in the game you know once I sign up for something and say you know what I'm going to do this uh, you know, that's kind of the concept of, of that whole level up, keeping yourself accountable. You know, what are you doing to better yourself lately? Uh, and and for me, that uh, that was that was my level up. So hopefully uh, early June, I'll have a report back on the, uh, the half marathon at the end of May. Ryan, our yes. guest, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us how'd you level up?
2: Well, uh, thank you for the floor. Um, so as you know, uh, from quite a few episodes that they do call me teacher Ryan because pretty much I I teach the board games. My level up is I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass it. Uh, I'm gonna pass it, but so that, uh, it's not my level up. I'm Mm. gonna pass this to my three-year-old son. And oh, oh, oh. the reason being is because I happened to walk in one day, and we were, you know, watching a, a, a friends of our kids. Uh, we were watching their kids so they could do their uh, their anniversary dinner. And so, you know, we took the kids off their hands. So while they were there, I was doing some dishes, and all of a sudden, I heard my son getting very, very loud. And I walked into the room, and they have a, a haba game set up called a. So, Fire Dragon. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And my son was teaching the game. (laughs) I have, so I am sitting there and I am just the proudest, like the biggest (laughs) smile because he's teaching these kids who are like seven and 10 years old how to play a game called Fjordjakken, and, and you know, I thank you, yes. I am just, uh, so I got a little recording of it, and it, if I can find it, I'll, I'll give you some audio uh, from that, but it just made my day, so I am going to pass on the level up, and I'm going to give it to my son, because I am just as proud as can be, and he is going to grow up to be another teacher, Ryan, but he's going to be a uh, Teacher Brennan.
0: He can teach my daughter how to play games on uh, (laughs) whatever virtual reality they're using. That's fantastic, Ryan. Glad to hear it. Thank you so much for joining us. Adventures, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Get on back. Last episode, we had the opportunity to be joined by Sam Stockton from BA Games for Forges of Ravenshire. It's live. It's live. Get on over. Check it out on Kickstarter next week. We're going to be talking about Cities of Venus. We've got another side quest before. I'll tell you what, Scott. We're going to have to slow it down
1: over summer. Oh, I think so. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Scott last words all yours all right here we go here's your toast for the next time you're around with friends we're only here for a short time let's make it a good time thank you adventurers for joining us for this episode of the level up board game podcast we encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.